Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Live to see it. Good evening and welcome to Fast Forward Radio. Fast Forward Radio is an audio production of the Speculist weblog. You can find the Speculist online at www.speculist.com. Or if you're in a big hurry and uh, you want to go directly to the blog, you can go there by typing blog.speculist.com. At the blog and here on this show, uh, we talk about the future. We talk about emerging technologies and emerging possibilities. We talk about a future that you're, you'll want to live to see. Phil is here in spirit only tonight. Uh, he'll return next week. Fortunately, you won't have to hear me yakking to myself for an hour. Michael Darling is here with me. How are you tonight, Michael? I'm good, Steve. Uh, I'm good, Stephen. Good evening. Good evening to you. I hope you've had a good Easter weekend. Uh, so far, it's been very, very good. I um, I coach a, uh, a little kids baseball team for my oldest son and uh, ten other kids, and we had practice yesterday. And it was, and I warned everybody in advance: if it was wet, no matter how warm it was, we wouldn't practice. If it was below forty degrees, we wouldn't practice. So of course, it was forty-one degrees and dry, and we froze. <laughs> After that, it, it got just, uh, It was marginal weather, but y'all y'all toughed it out, huh? Uh, yeah, it was fun at the beginning, and by the end, there were uh, yeah, these kids are mostly eight. Some of them are seven, and there were some tears at the end. It was yeah. painful. <laughs> yeah, well, I had a good time out, um, out, you know, hunting Easter eggs and everything earlier today uh, with with my kids. I've, I've, as you know, or probably know, I've got four kids, and of course, you know, they have oodles of cousins, and so um, we all got together and. Hit Easter eggs and had a good time, and so that's yeah. fun. I, I I got the question twice today about what does the Easter bunny, the rabbit, have to do with anything, and why do we color eggs and hide them? And both times I just went, yeah, I'll have to Google that later. I don't know the first <laughs> earthly clue. Well, it, it's because it's fun. I, I guess I, I, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go with oh, because, because it's fun. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, we just. You know, uh, it, obviously it's a Christian holiday, but where the Easter Bunny came in, I have no idea. I guess I'll have to find that out too. I'm, somewhere it's written down somewhere. So we, I, I can't. I can hardly believe that I'm 45 Easter's into my life, and I don't. I, I've never answered that question, and never even. <laughs> well, never even thought really to ask it, it before now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, hey, report back to us next week. We, you know, inquiring <laughs> minds sure. want to know <laughs> when did the Easter Bunny become part of the Easter experience for everybody, but. Yeah, we uh, we got a great show tonight. We don't, I mean, we don't have a regular guest, but uh, again, it's one of those shows where the news is the guest, and uh, and tonight we're gonna I'll be talking about the human brain, um, and to get us off on the right foot, which strangely enough involves the left hemisphere. <laughs> please help me welcome to the studio tonight two very special guests, Pinky and the Brain. And now, the part of the brain, performed by the brain. Yes. <laughs> Neocortex frontal lobe. Brainstem! Hippocampus neural node, right hemisphere. Pons and cortex visual. Sylvian Fisher pineal, left hemisphere. Cerebellum left, cerebellum right. Synapse, hypothalamus, triatum, and right. Axon fibers, matter gray. Central tegmental pathway, temporal lobe. White core matter, forebrain skull. 
Central Fisher Court's final parieto. The amateur men and geovane, medulla oblongata and lobe limbic, microelectrodes. <laughs> the brain. That ought to keep the little squirts happy. Yeah. <laughs> Well, aside from being called little squirts, I'd say that we are happy. <laughs> Nicely done. I, uh, I I have to uh, confess a, a uh, true affinity for Pinky and the Brain. Oh, yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> even relevant to the topic tonight, maybe in 58 minutes or however long, much longer we have left to go, we'll uh, be able to come back and, and, and confirm or deny that basically Brain's description proves we have vocabulary for pretty much the whole structure and the whole layout but that's about it well you know it's you know it's near uh, this show is near and dear to my heart pinky in the brain because you know well if it weren't for phil and now your hijinks i would have long ago taken over the world but (laughs) (laughs) y'all kept me from it and so there you go uh but anyway i don't want to deviate on pinky in the brain too far but i i i want to point out two things one i think in more than one episode, they actually do successfully take over the world. But then for whatever reason... They can't hold uh, on to it. For they can't hang on to it. That's right. <laughs> so there's that. And I think there is an episode, um, and I, man, you're challenging my memory, and this is something we're going to talk about for sure. Um, but I think there's an episode where they take over the world and don't know it. <laughs> so it's, it's, and what I'm saying here, Stephen, is that it's possible. You have taken over the world, and you just aren't aware of I just it. Don't, I just don't remember it. Okay. That's right. Well, uh, that's, uh, I'll, that will help me sleep better tonight, I'm sure. But in all seriousness, if for any reason any member of our audience needs to learn the parts of the brain, check out the video of what I just played. Uh, <laughs> you will be brain farmed. You will never again forget any part of the brain. He's he's pointing to each part as he sings that song. And uh, you, you know, if you're in med school or whatever, <laughs> I highly recommend it. But anyway, it's, it's, it's pretty funny. But I, anyway, we want to get into the, our, our more serious topics tonight. And uh, as I said earlier, Phil uh, is here in spirit, and uh, here's why. Our source material tonight for tonight's show is the 33rd edition of Phil's Better All the Time series at The Speculist. And if you happen to be listening to us live or even on delay, you can find that at The Speculist, of course. And... Uh, um, and f- kind of follow along with us if you care to. There is no possibility that we're going to be able to cover all the topics that he covered in the show tonight. But we're going to give it a try. And uh, well, on the uh, the lead up there in that in this uh, rendering of better all the time, uh, Phil either re- remembered or went and hacked up a uh, a nice quote from Thomas Edison that said the chief function of the body is to carry the brain around. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Uh, and from our point of view, that's absolutely true. I mean, um, you know, uh, the seat of our personhood is our brains, right? And and so our the rest of the body just sort of serves to, you know, uh, get us around uh, to feed the brain, to you know, exa- you know, to do everything that the brain needs to do. Um, well, I'd say it's it's a more uh, it's more involved than carrying it around. But if by carried around you also imply uh, uh, provide sensory stimulation and new experience and a way to to uh, uh, to accomplish all the other body functions we need to accomplish, then yes, I would I would I would go along with that. Although I will say that in the in the biggest picture, I'm not so sure that the uh, the brain in isolation can be said to be sort of the the core or, you know, the the real repository of us. I think it's more of a collective thing, although people live, people have their legs amputated, and I wouldn't argue that's not them. That's still them, and their brain still functions, and I don't know how to address that. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a whole, a, a whole different way of looking at it. Evolutionists uh, would say, or scientists that are biologists that, that uh, steady evolution would say that the human brain is just a tool to aid the survival of human DNA. You know, uh, it was just a survival exper- experiment that went that with unexpected results. You know, so the smarter we got, the the, the better able we were to uh, not only procreate but survive. Right. Well, I mean, in the battle of tooth and claw, we were at a disadvantage. 
we didn't have great teeth or claws for defending or attacking, but we were given this great gift in our brains. But it turns out we can animate little little cute cartoon mice that do funny things, and somehow that evolutionarily that aids us. I don't get it. <laughs> well, it keeps us from getting too bored, I guess. There's that. <laughs> anyway, uh, but it. It turns in, you know it turns out that that it was uh, the brain started out as kind of a survival ex- experiment that went unexpectedly right I guess or wrong depends on how you look <laughs> at it but uh, anyway we um, let's get let's go in and get into our topics um, well before we do um, I want let me address this if you accept you know that our brains are a result of uh, you know evolutionary biology. It seems to me that you get the te- technological singularity thrown in for free. And by, what I mean by that is uh, up until this point, our brains are the result of, un- of an undirected process. And undirected by us, anyway. Undirected by us, exactly. Right. Um, and so at this point, though, you know, we, we, you know, by whatever means, we decide to uh, push it in different directions, um, you know, what what can result? Well, well, if we if we even make ourselves just a little bit smarter, or we we uh, create tools that are just a little bit smarter, then uh, then that's 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 the singularity. And so um, I, it seems to me that the singularity kind of comes for comes for a ride uh, uh, when you're looking at uh, evolution in the uh, in the broadest sense. So it, I think you're right about that. I I think uh, the characterization lines up and is coherent i think it also begs the question of if uh if from an evolutionary point of view uh the brain is there for us to survive um and it's done pretty well at that so far at least i mean we have survived um then in the singularity in the transition to singularity or post-singularity uh, environment uh if we don't survive you say yeah from an evolutionary point of view, that that whole brain consciousness thing, it worked for a while, but in the end it failed. Are there something else that was more intelligent that basically drove out, you know, human level intelligence? Or better able to survive. I mean, you know, yeah. the uh it's the it's the cockroaches take over the world after the nuclear holocaust theory, right? We were we got so smart we blew ourselves up and the cockroaches end up with everything. Yeah, so that the ultimate result is well that was that experiment just didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> I, obviously, I, I you know I'm 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 on the side of uh, intelligence working out. So <laughs> so far, I mean, I, so far, I would rather I'm, work I'm, than I'm, not work for sure. <laughs> Let's keep this positive, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. Yeah. I, I want if I want to open up the lines to callers. Uh, if if uh, anybody's listening, uh, you know, those who are listening live want to call in. The number is three four seven two one five eight nine seven two. And we're going to be visiting about. All kinds of brain-related topics, and so before um, before we even get to the first topic, the first number one, if you will, um, one other thing I wanted to throw out, and it doesn't really have a lot of uh, obvious relevance, except that every time I, I find myself reading about the brain or thinking about the brain, um, I come back to this notion, and it's this: it's and admittedly, the numbers here I'm going to estimate because I don't think there is a um, a quantifiable, proven uh, number that says here here's how many synapses are in the human brain. Right. But let's just say three trillion. Now I can find sources that say a quadrillion or you know plus or minus, but you know somewhere in the trillions is is probably the number, at least based on our, what our information is now. But stars in the Milky Way, likewise unknowable, somewhere in the one to two hundred billion range. In other words, there's ten times as many synapses in the human brain as there are stars in the Milky Way, in and of itself, that, well... That's mind-blowing. It, it, right it is. It's, it, it just it gets me going to the point where I'm like, okay, and yet that, that three trillion synapses are all in something the size of, well, not even the size of a bowling ball. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it, to me, that's, uh, that's a, a, a difficult little fact to gnaw on, and then I think about, yeah, well... It's the interaction between neurons that is a synapse. By definition, the synapse is the space between. Um, and yet, it's that space between that we think is where basically what happens happens. And when I say what happens, I mean we're thinking, our brain yeah. is functioning. 
But on the other hand, here's the Milky Way, and there's you know a tenth as many stars, and they're so much further apart. It's like, what kind of interaction could they possibly have? Yeah. Albeit, they obviously must be interacting at some level. Well, it's you know it's amazing to me. We live in such an incredible universe, and you know, with things around uh, around us that are fantastic in every direction and in every way. But the most complex and most amazing thing that I think that humans have yet encountered is our own minds, and uh, that's uh, that in itself is a pretty cool point, isn't it? So it is, and the uh, that that I brought up the the quantity, that just raw numbers um, for a reason. The the first uh, thing that Phil pointed to was that um, the brain actually can keep growing. Right. You know, common commonly held myth or commonly held knowledge, common knowledge was that after a certain period of time your brain stops growing and you're not growing new neurons. In fact, they're, they're just dying a uh, few at a time or thousands at a time or whatever uh, for some length of time. And, and now it appears that that may not be as, uh, as true as is commonly held. Two thoughts come to my mind right away. One, if your brain, if the actual quantity of neuron, whether it's because individual neurons are getting bigger or neurons are are uh, multiplying, if they're getting bigger, how, how does your brain, which already fits in your skull in a fairly compact way, continue to fit in your skull over the, life, over the course of your lifetime? Uh, you know, I, I have to profess ignorance on that. But, you know, I, I, there's one obvious fact that, you know, that would point to the fact that the brain is malleable for a long, long time, and that is that old people can learn stuff. I mean, you know, um, I've got a neighbor down the street here who uh at age 80 got her doctorate you know i mean it's uh it seems to me it's pretty obvious from just general experience that the brain doesn't you know i mean it, it's true that there you know there is some dropping off and uh and then by age there's a certain age at which you know maybe 1 in 10 people have some uh serious brain deficiently deficiency uh you know after say age 80 or so but um it, you know, even uh, even at advanced ages, if if those diseases like Alzheimer's haven't shown up, then people can continue to do remarkable things. It's the uh, it's that the the second notion about, and it's it's contained in that that first part of the uh, things are getting better all the time. Um, that in fact, the plasticity, the flexibility, or the malleability of the human brain. Uh, is still there, right. despite age, despite uh, longevity into adulthood, and the implication being not only can you learn things, but you can think about things in a new way, you can still be creative, all of which is very encouraging. My fear is that um, that memory and that it's not being able to recall things, and so I think to myself, well, it's not going to do me that much good to learn a bunch of new things or to, quote, know things, um, that I can't recall, <laughs> and it's uh, you know that, that's the that, to me that's the classic joke about about the brain function and aging, where you know the two things that go uh, as you get older are one is memory and the other one is I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the other one's memory loss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, uh, yeah, it's and and obviously as you get older, I think um, one of the things that I noticed that, um, like you know, older members of my family have tended to do is that you know they they find that they want in in order to stay sharp they engage in things that you know you know it it becomes more important to them to uh, you know stay involved with like uh, their social groups, church or whatever. Uh, You know, if they have a regular card game or something like that, it becomes you know kind of a religious thing to them almost. Um, in in order to I think um, you know keep keep sharp and, and it's I guess it's one of those things if you don't use it you'll lose it and, uh, um, and it might be a desire to keep sharp it might also be that uh, that not unlike you know the proverbial scratching the itch that doing certain things or or being active in certain ways stimulates a brain in a way that just feels good. Right, and right. You go, I have the surge to do it, and I'm, you know, you mentioned cards, but I was already thinking about 
um, how I had just read recently that the CEO of Bear Stearns last weekend, when Bear Stearns was unbeknownst to the most of the world, uh, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York and the Secretary of the Treasury uh, were working, burning the midnight oil, trying to figure out what to do with Bear Stearns, which was about to fail, um, came up with the rescue plan that was announced Monday morning, and, hey, here's J.P. Morgan to the rescue, and and Federal Reserve guarantees this, and it's, it's, it's a pretty big deal in the banking world. Well, the CEO of Bear Stearns was at a bridge tournament over the weekend. Now, it could be that he was playing bridge or fiddling as Rome burned because he knew there was nothing he could do all weekend anyway. He'd already seen the handwriting on the wall, and it's like whatever rescue plan they come up with, I'm going to have to accept it because, you know, what more could I do? But it also occurred to me it may just be that despite the fact that his company was in dire straits, I mean, the most dire straits that an institution of that kind can be in, he just couldn't resist the the impulse to be in this bridge tournament and playing at a at a at a high level. Yeah. <laughs> I I think you're exactly right. It's uh, it could be both though. I mean, uh and it could be both. You're right. I I, I guess, make it mutually exclusive. There's no need for that to be the case. That's right. And so um, you know, I, I guess uh, we'll report back to the uh, our fast forward uh, radio listeners when we pass a certain age. <laughs> Let everybody know what it's like to, uh, you know, why cards and dominoes are so important to you. Well, the, the, the thing about that 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 notion that for intellectual stimulation, doing things that you know even that aren't useful or that in the bigger picture everybody would sort of agree is maybe not that that efficient or productive yet you can't resist i never got hooked by computer games and video games yeah and i know people who've ha- who have i don't know too many people who've gone the route of they were losing weight they're pale they got the the twitch they got the all the stuff that was <laughs> never a job uh, you know they, that, yeah that was never it for me i what? mean i'm sure there's people out there like that and i was like yeah what is it about that intellectual stimulation that draws them now for me it's it's something a little bit in a way more complicated, but in a way much more basic. I just wanted facts. I wanted to go to the library and roam around and grab stuff off the shelves that just looked interesting, flip through it for a few minutes, even though it had nothing to do with anything. Yeah. Yeah. Or anything relevant, you know, to what I was trying to accomplish in my life. I mean, it made it very hard to get through university, I can tell you that. Yeah. Because, you know, it it always seems that the most interesting thing in the world is the thing that you're not working on at that moment. (laughs) I'm I'm with you. I was there. That's exactly uh, the problem I had when I was going through college. Managed to make it through anyway. I guess I finally, it, uh, deadlines motivated me. I, I finally would, you know, get it together at the last minute. I always deadlines. Say. Deadlines have a way of getting things done. Um, <laughs> that's that is one area, and we're going to talk about this one further down the list, where um, uh, meditation and the ability to grow parts of the brain, but really areas of the brain associated with focus and concentration. Man, pair those up with uh, with the ability to be disciplined enough to make a deadline, and you've got a very high functioning brain. Yeah. Well, let's get to item number two. We, I mean, we're we're well into the show, and I and we got so far to go. And again, we're not going to make it through, but I want to get it through a number of topics. So let's get to item number two. New findings about the brain lead to treatment for eating disturbances, and and basically, I, I, let me just get into it real quick. It's uh, uh, discovery of the uh, brain's so-called mel- melanocortin system and its central role in controlling appetite. Uh, apparently, defects in this system have led some people to become very fat, and then uh, other defects in the system have caused other people to be anorexic. And they feel like if if uh, we can understand the system well enough to, to you know to design a drug that will uh, you know it, it would help. Dangerously thin people get get bigger, and uh, dangerously big people to get littler. And so, um, seems like a uh, seems like a good thing. Yeah, seems uh, like a good thing. Know, always there's, there's always the, for yeah, go the ahead. Uh, unintended consequence, but exactly. it does seem like a good thing. Yeah, yeah. If you know, you start uh, dealing with a complex system like the brain. There's always uh, unintended consequences. You just hope that the unintended consequences are minor enough. That uh, it doesn't undo the good that you're trying to do, and so in some way, and so yeah, that's uh, um, yeah for all of for everyone who's having some difficulty in the modern world keeping the weight off, that that 
that's promising. And so, well, and if it's especially if it addresses what I think of as the broader question: why we either eat quantity or quality of things that, well, yeah, you can call them food. And I'm gonna I'm gonna use some examples here by referencing brand names that you and I will know in common, um, like Cheetos. Yeah, I love Cheetos. I don't understand why, because they're not really food. There's really no food value, but I love Cheetos. And there oh, come was on, a it's a vegetable. Where... Corn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, One I'm... could only wish. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the broadest sense, it's food. Uh, you know, come on. Give if, it a tr- if, if this uh, understanding of the uh, melanocortin and how the brain regulates appetite and what we eat and how much we eat can also address the question of, uh, hey, why do I like Cheetos? Why do we like any kind of food that really has no food value? Now, sugar water is a different thing because yeah, it maybe doesn't have food value, but the, the, stimulate, the stimulative value in and of itself is something. But, man, I, the, the whole thing about what we eat and how we eat, it, it's, it's utterly mysterious to me. Well, without getting too deep into the uh, low carb, low carb debate, <laughs> I would I would suggest to you that uh, the sugar water and the uh, and the Cheeto have a lot in common. Once once it hits your bloodstream. Yep, I think there's there's some truth to that. <laughs> okay, item number three: hacking your brain. You want to lead off with this one, Michael? I, I love this idea. In fact, uh, uh, I know Phil used the um, you know the the nice matrix reference where Neo learns Kung Fu. Um, <laughs> yeah. I actually, there's I another moment, Fu. there's another moment where the, uh, the female character in matrix needs to learn how to fly a helicopter. And so from within their, their reality, they're talking back to the guy at the mothership who is, uh, what kind of helicopter is it? What do you, and Neo's looking at her like, what are you doing? And she's like, well, I got to learn how to fly that helicopter. And he goes, do you know how to fly that helicopter? She's like, not yet. And starts walking toward it. And he basically reprograms her, you know, in the 20 steps it takes her to walk to it. And she's like, I can now. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. um, that would be pretty cool. Great idea. Um, I think the even even reading the article, the, the Peskovitz work, about what he's thinking is conceivable or conceptually possible, um, I, I, I would reference another uh, – uh, and he's not, more, not so much a neurologist as he is a – uh, I don't know, a, a performance coach, if you will. The man's name is George Leonard. Yeah. He wrote a book called Mastery, and the the concept of mastery uh, in the book was really just how do people get really, really good at doing something? And where he talks about uh, you have to practice, you have to start an activity, you practice it, and initially you might be much, much better than you shortly thereafter will become, and then you practice at that plateaued level for a long time, and then you move to a new plateau. You, you, you might have a dramatic improvement, you might have a gradual improvement, but you get to a new plateau, and you practice, practice, practice there. And he makes the, the argument, I think he makes it pretty convincingly, that there's a relationship um, between the mind and body, or a cause and effect, and you need to reinforce that. There's a, both a temporal component and a... Are you there? Yeah, I'm here and a repetitious component that they have to interact in a, in a kind of subtle way for that mastery to emerge. The implication being that you really couldn't just know it. And, and I, although I, I won't make the claim that I know how to play the piano, but I, conceptually I get what a piano is. I can look at the keys. I can look at the thing. I understand what it's trying to do, but that doesn't allow me to actually sit down and play the piano. Right. Right. Although apparently that's what Mozart did. <laughs> well, and, and again, he he had a brain that was operating at a different level, at least musically. Yep. And um, anyway, um, the idea that this could actually come about hacking a brain. Uh, this is something that's being put forward by David uh, Peskovitz, co-editor of BoingBoing.net, uh, uh, and uh, research director uh, with the Institute for the Future. Anyway. I mean, it's his thought that, I mean, at some point we could actually be able to do that. I think uh, that's, you know, uh, I would say it's it's we that's still a few years in the future because I, I don't, you know, there's so much we need to understand before we can actually start patching the brain or hacking the brain in that to that to that extent. But 
I think this goes also to the idea that uh, that the time could come where you take a pill to learn German. Would be awesome, wouldn't it? You're you're a fully functioning English speaker. You go, hey, I'm going to India for a couple of weeks. The language spoken in the area I'm going is this language. You pop the pill, you learn that language. I would, and, and the question is, is it a permanent, you know, thing, or does it fade after after a while? I mean, while frankly, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't matter, the, would it? Exactly. It's it's like I don't I, don't, I kind of don't care if I didn't remember after I left. Yeah. You can always pop the pill later when you go back. So. Or, or you'd maybe you maybe would intentionally take a pill. And I know this this was actually uh, something that Phil posted on, or perhaps you did uh, last year on the Speculist that were uh, neurologists were working on a, on a drug that incidentally they they didn't set out with this as the goal, but it incidentally had the effect of uh, actually eliminating short term memories. And you'd start thinking about, well, what kind of a situation where, where I, would I want to eliminate a memory? I mean, it's not eternal well, it's sunshine. Not, it's not hard to come up with a few ideas. What if you could that, give that to? A, what if you could give that to a person who had just been raped? You know, you uh, could, and you might not want to give it to that person initially because you want to collect evidence. Yeah, their memory might be the best hope for that. But at some point, you say, hey, there's maybe some memories that I would choose not to have. Right. Exactly. The other thing that I would say about the, uh, the Peskovitz uh, article, um, he references the fact that humans have used caffeine and other drugs to alter our states of mind, which, you know, he goes on to make the broader point in the, in the idea of the hackable mind, and if we could come up with a, a more drug-based or chemical-based, substance-based way to learn how to play the piano or do whatever. Um, but it reminds me that this idea that why don't we have the easy on, easy off, mind altering drug? I mean, we have alcohol and we have all sorts of illegal drugs and all sorts of other substances that people abuse. But given that we know that there's this sort of human impetus to alter how the mind is functioning or doing whatever it's doing, why don't we just come up with something that's safe and it's easy to start and it's easy to turn off? Yeah, absolutely. Uh... And that, you know, I said I would suggest too. That's one way it's going to go. You know, uh, one possibility. I mean, in my in my social circles, we uh, at least when I was younger, we mostly drank socially. It was it was alcohol, and you know, it, it's the logical cl- conclusion at the uh, at you know last call when it's like, yeah, this was a lot of fun, but now none of us can drive. <laughs> Why don't we turn this off? Uh, 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 pop a pill, and, uh, and, and right. within, within five minutes, uh, you're sober, and you can, you can take the wheel. That's exactly uh, right. Uh, it would be a wonderful thing. I challenge, I defy Seagram's or, or uh, Schweppes or any of the other major alcohol distributors to I'll give them that idea for free. Yeah. And incidentally, uh, it would take away the hangover too. I, th- there you go. That's the perfect. Uh, Absolutely. That's, and, that and is a pill that the, the market is there. And, and not for nothing either would eliminate the possibility of the really boneheaded judgment call, or would eliminate the memory of that particular you know misjudgment. Hey, Harvey in the chat room uh, responds to what we were just talking about. Uh, we'll need a human lab rats for some of this. I think <laughs> I think Harvey would sign up. Uh, you know, <laughs> and let's I, let's let's all go to let's all go down to the bar and uh, and then we'll uh, try the pill afterwards and see. That's see right. If it sobers us up. Uh, if you'd like to call in, the number is three four seven two one five eight nine seven two. Let's get on down to item number four on our list. Uh, this is a virus infection battles brain cancer. Okay, now this is interesting to me for a number of reasons. Um, well, here, let me just get into it. Curing a disease by calling, uh, causing another one seems counterintuitive, but there you, there you have it. Scientists at Yale are trying to do it or, and actually have done it in lab rats. And so uh, they, you know, they have a, uh, a lab rat that has uh, what would amount to an inoperable brain cancer in a human. Uh, this lab rat has it. They uh, they give it uh, this this virus that's been modified, and uh, and three days later the tumors are gone. Now, there's this is interesting, but I think this is something that initially would be tried on someone who is uh, you know hope is gone otherwise. I think even in the article they point out that um, uh, both from a uh, uh, stage of technology or stage of what the research indicates, and from a medical ethics point of view, 
you basically are dealing with people who have exhausted all of their hope. Right. Um, and when you're talking about people, now when you're talking about rats or Pinky in the Brain, um, <laughs> you know, you go for it. But um, well, Pinky anyway. <laughs> hey, now wait a minute! I actually think that the punchline with Pinky and the Brain of one of them's a genius and one of them's insane is that you can make the argument very strongly. It could go either way. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not saying you know don't experiment on Pinky. That's what he's there for. But <laughs> That's and he wouldn't mind, frankly. Oh uh, well, well you know. No, the, thing, the thing about viruses, uh, a they are wicked cool. Um, yeah, I agree with you on this. Uh, the 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 article, I think the quote is, they're tough, they're relentless. Um, both these things appear to be true. Um, on the other hand, they're small, um, and they're a little scary because I think, and I, and I think, and I might get the number viruses wrong. Viruses have their own agenda sometimes, don't they? Yeah, I think the average virus, most viruses are like twenty to four hundred nanometers. I mean, they're they're little tiny things that we don't necessarily have full grasp of how to manipulate their environment in a way that we can say that we are actually controlling them. There's, so another, there's another issue. Um, the human brain doesn't have an immune system at all. And you start introducing viruses into a part of the body that does not have any ability to fight off an infection. I just wonder, you know, I mean... <laughs> it's, uh, a, uh, it's a valid question. Yeah, so... Um, you know, hopefully they do exactly what we program them to do, and then they don't do anything else. And maybe for someone who's, uh, you know, on death's door anyway, why not give it a shot? But again, it's just, uh, um, uh, you know, it's 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 a uh, sort of a heroic last ditch kind of deal. It's I, one of those things, and I, I know I've read far too much science fiction, but it's uh, and well, I've, frankly, I've read far too much bad science fiction. Um, but it's one of those things where I'd want the the uh, the guy, the team in the lab that are doing this, to have the fail-safe, foolproof uh, way of taking the population of viruses from whatever it is they make it to trying to eat the brain cancer back down to zero, yeah. so that you don't end up with this. Hey, we did this virus and it kind of got out, kind of got away from us, and now there's you know. They're all over the place, and we don't really know what the impact is going to be in the broader environment. Yeah, I wouldn't want that. Yeah. Got to be careful about that stuff. Okay, let's go to item number five. A single brain cell's uh, power is shown. Now, you know, I don't know that I necessarily buy this one. Um, And and I'll I'll explain to you why. According to this article that Phil points out in The Better All the Time uh, that he just wrote, uh, there, there could be enough computing ability in just one brain cell to allow humans and animals to feel, uh, the study suggests, the brain has 100 billion neurons, but scientists had thought that they, you know, they needed to join forces in larger networks to produce thoughts and sensations. So the um, European group uh, of scientists gets together. They, uh, they stimulate one rat neuron, and it could deliver the sensation of touch somehow. I've got, in, this I've rat. got some qu- in, in this rat. Well, I've got some questions. Um, they didn't that rat uh, that rat neuron was not sitting in a petri dish in isolation. <laughs> it's stimul- in the rat. It's in the rat brain, and you stimulate that one rat neuron, and you may be stimulating the whole brain. You know, I mean, because again, that rat neuron is sitting within the network. You know, well, more to the point. I, I mean, and I'm sure they they feel like their data is verifiable, but. How do you really know what the rat felt? Forget for a minute, you don't really know where the signal went once it was in that one neuron. How do you know what the rat felt? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, did the rat report back? Uh, you know, I, I, again, I, I guess it's something we just need to read a little closer because maybe in our ignorance we don't know. We're criticizing in ways that well, I think the, they, the, they've already answered, but I, it just seems to me that that's, that's one I'd have to... I have, to, I have to read the study closer before I could actually buy into it. Yeah, I'm with you there. And I think the, the broader implication, forget for a minute whether or not this research really demonstrates uh, the point in an effective way, um, but the broader implication is that even a single neuron um, has significant uh, capability, whether it's processing capability or transmission capability. It has significant functionality um, that by understanding it in its isolation or as a single neuron could be 
revealing in the bigger picture. Now, I don't know if it was Phil or the article, but on this this number five, the single neuron function, um, I think Phil was uh, drawing the conclusion that this says that the really big brain th- breakthroughs are yet to come, which I think is true, um, and will probably be coming much sooner than most of us suspect. Well, I think that's true. I don't think the single neuron uh, rat rat feeling uh, study demonstrates that. Um, I, I do think it's true that it's going to be sooner than we think because I think it's when it happens and we start getting the big breakthroughs. I think it's going to happen. Pr- it's going to be exponential. It's like Tuesday we didn't know anything, and by Friday we know almost everything. Yeah, and and the other thing is that um, you know society at large really has no idea what's going on behind the scenes, and I, I don't mean that in elitist any kind of way. No, I don't either. <laughs> but you know, because I'm part of that, you know. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not a scientist by trade. I'm just a, you know, a guy in the normal population that happens to take an interest in this stuff. But it's, um, you know, it's 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 kind of a, a situation where we don't know exactly what's happening uh, in within the fields. And truth be known, those that are within those fields don't know what's happening in the very in 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 a neighboring uh, area of science. You or know. they've totally dismissed it and they say, hey, our approach to modeling neurological function is the only valid approach and they get they kind of narrow in on it and then they rule out some other approach or they rule out all the other data and they're not only are they not aware of it they're consciously um choosing to avoid it i mean it's like i i don't then, i don't i don't want to know what that guy's up to cause and then and then some maverick comes along and uh, puts <laughs> it all together in a way that no one ever thought about and all of a sudden bam it's overnight it seems Sometimes. like yeah that you you know the you have a revolution that's pretty cool. Um, this, I think, number six, item number six uh, in this better all the time, is my personal favorite. Mine too, but I bet you for different reasons. Well, let's find out. Tiny brain-like computer created. All right. And what does that mean? The most powerful computer known is the brain, and now scientists have designed a machine uh, just a few molecules large that mimics how the brain works. Um, so, anyway, so you, neurons are not connected to you know, like in a, in a serial capacity, they are connected in many different ways, and um, and the, and I, my understanding is that this this new device that they're creating, which is different from a transistor, com- completely different from a transistor, could at some point become a device that would be a thousand could do a thousand times more operations than a transistor at the same size. And so um and this this makes it to the top of your cool factor list for this particular list because well I mean uh it's another example of how I'm not necessarily afraid of the end of Moore's law. Okay, the ability to shrink transistors at some point is going to run up against a molecular wall. They're not going to be able to get any you know, you can't create a transistor smaller than an atom, you know. Um, and so, what do you do? Well, you got to you got to build something else, and this is an example of a possibility. And uh, you know, it seems like we're hearing all the time about new, you know, if it's not this, it's a quantum computer, or you know, there are lots of different uh, ways to uh, to to beat Moore's law and continue to uh, you know. Uh, Push computation forward, uh, in spite of the fact that uh, transistors can't get any small, can't get too much smaller than they are. So maybe we do make this our favorite one for the same reason. My reason is just because the thing is so dang small. Yeah. Um, what they're talking about is 17, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna blow the pronunciation, but that's okay. Yeah. Uh, um molecules, where you have one surrounded by 16 of these molecules. And the idea is that, and they make this comparison in the article, that if you had a spider web with a spider in the middle and 16 strands of the web, the spider stepping in one direction or another would result in a slightly different uh, tug or motion on all 16 strands. And it's that uh, interaction of these 17 molecules that is actually the computational power and device. Um, But... The the molecule itself is I mean this is this is whatever you want to however you want to characterize the rest of it, it this is basic nanotechnology to be able to be able to manipulate these things that are nanometers big 
They're right. less than a billionth of a meter. They're they're you know not visible. They put it. They also, I also like it for this reason, although this is uh, uh, more trivial than than anything I understand in, in an academic or useful way. But they build it on a on a surface of gold. And I thought, wow, that's one of the few industrial applications of gold I actually know about. <laughs> Although, if you think about it, it's uh, you know the thing is less than a nanometer, and you're going to put 17 of them. You don't need all that much gold to to assemble the device. Actually, um, gold is one of those things that uh, is is used quite a bit uh, in, in devices like this. I'm not sure exactly why, but. It's, it's uh, shiny <laughs> and it's pretty. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but, uh, but the, the point is, it's it is it is insanely small. And if you read the article, they talk about um, the guys who built this thing or are working with this technology are talking about uh, being able to ramp up relatively quickly to uh, computational capabilities that are somewhat staggering if it works. Yeah. So it's it's one of these things where they're not going to be doinking around with it for six or ten years, going well, maybe no. In, in the next uh, six quarters, in the next year and a half or so, they're either going to have something that is wicked cool and very powerful, or they're not going to have anything at all. Well, uh, let's keep our fingers crossed on that one. I guess we should point out why this is this one was included with, uh, or at least emphasize why this was included in uh, the better all the time uh, that has to do with the human brain. Well. Uh, this is very much like the neuron. I think I may have said this earlier, but this is uh, this device is more like a neuron than a transistor is today, and uh, it connects in ways that transistors don't. And so, you know, uh, in the past, uh, modeling things after nature hasn't always worked out for us. Uh, Phil <laughs> mentioned the, uh, uh, you know, the early flying machines that were modeled after flapping wings of birds didn't work out. Uh, yep. Uh, and instead, we had, we eventually learned that fixed wings were better for what we needed to do. Um, but in, you know, I, I think I think that there I, I think there's some truth to that. We need to learn what makes the human brain work, uh, you know, and use those ideas in creating our machines the best we can, and and, and go in different ways when it turns out that the different ways are better. But uh, yeah, I think we got the human brain has a lot to teach us in that way. I um, and I think if the model here says this one functions more like a neuron than a computer chip or than other computational devices, um, in and of itself, that's interesting. And if you can put a uh, hundred billion of them uh, in close in close enough proximity that they can interact and start to create their 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 network of synapses, if you will, um, then it gets very interesting. Uh, because now you get to a point where you have sort of modeled something very, in terms of structure and interaction or how how that functions, you do have something that's kind of like the human brain. Well, I would suggest to you, if we're going to do something like that, we need to figure out a way to make it self-assembling the way the human brain is self-assembling. Um, you know, I mean, you, can you imagine trying to manufacture something, putting something together like that? No. <laughs> it just wouldn't work. So, no. you know, um, self-assembly, I think, is going to, you know, that's a, that's a field of science that's uh, going to be extremely important in, in nanotech and in this kind of, you know, building our computers or whatever, you know. Anyway, let's get to item number seven. And this is interesting to me, meditation found to increase brain size. Now, again, this is another issue with, well, the skull's your limiting factor, right, uh, if, if, you, if you really mean that. I think, I think though, what they mean is that, you know, it's, again, there's evidence that the brain is malleable or, you know, your, your ability to learn and things has actually improved by meditation. So, Well, part, uh, part of me reacted to this with the, uh, the obvious American punchline that, you know, somehow size is it matters. <laughs> yes, size and this matters. is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. On the other hand, um, the article really talks about how it's really certain areas uh, of the brain that, uh, in fact, develop um, or appear to develop, and the areas that they were focused on, or the areas they were looking at, are areas that happen to correlate with focus and concentration. And those, to me, seem like really good things to be able to say, hey. This can get better. You can be you can be better able to focus or have better concentration, um, you know, if you exercise in this way. And that exercise or that practice happens to be meditation. Right. And that makes sense. You know, I mean, that's 
what are you attempting to do when you meditate? Well, I, I would suggest that one of the things you're doing is focusing, you know. And so um, I would I would, I would suggest that that's that's pretty it's kind of an obvious thing, you know, that if you, something that you you do a lot, uh, your brain will uh, adapt to to that activity, and there will be a difference in your brain as a result. You know, not 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 unlike the uh, the Cheeto experiment, where I wish I could eat Cheetos and and get you know have better abs and a more fit physical existence. Um, I would I would have hoped, and I'm not I have nothing against meditation, but I would have thought, or and maybe still think that if focusing, if practicing focus or practicing concentration allows you to be better able to focus and concentrate, it doesn't necessarily seem like the logic is there that meditation where you're or a form of meditation where you're clearing your mind and, and consciously trying to focus on not focusing on anything or not thinking about anything would make you better able to focus any better than say reading the newspaper i'm focused on reading the newspaper i'm focused on watching pinky in the brain and i practice <laughs> concentrating and focusing there and get better at concentration and focus but having watched a lot of cartoons and read a lot of newspapers i can tell you that my own personal subjective opinion is that doesn't work as well well it's something that does work that i've noticed uh well in my experience as a student for example is that the better i got as a student the better i got as a student you know what i'm saying i if for example i didn't i didn't really apply myself much in high school got through it you know uh, but once I got to college, got out on my own, and and started taking an interest in you know, in in bettering myself, um, I you know I would get in there and begin to study, and I would I learn practices and learn routines to to learn, okay, and as I learned to learn, I get, I would get better and better at it, and it seemed like uh, throughout my college years, especially, I would. Uh, I became a better and better student. Uh, I became better at the process of learning because of, uh, you know, just the fact that I was in there doing it. I, don't know. I think no, I think that does make sense, and I'm I'm perhaps trying to go with the uh, more extreme example that I practiced focusing by watching Pinky and the Brain really intently, and then I was hoping to focus better in other areas of my life. But yeah, um, you know, it, it seems like it, it's not really just a quantitative thing. How many hours a day do you spend? in deep concentration or in deep focus on one thing. It's not just quantity. It is quality. And if you spend that time focused on something, how shall we say, uh, entertaining or trivial, as opposed to, uh, and I don't want to use the word more important, but something more qualitatively uh, able to train your mind to focus and concentrate, it seems to make a difference. Harvey is describing uh, meditation here. He says, empty the mind. Picture leaves on the pond floating away. Each leaf is a thought. Okay. <laughs> I, again, I've never practiced meditation, so I don't want to, and I don't want to dismiss anyone who has done it and, uh, and has found, uh, and has found that it worked for them. I, I, I'm, I'm not surprised that it would work. Uh, uh, you know, I, again, it's one of those things that, uh, as you, as you would do it, I, I suppose you'd get better and better at it. And, uh, and I'm not really surprised that a brain scan would show differences in, in between those who meditate and those who don't. Um, you know, it, things do happen. That, you know, your brain does adapt to whatever activities you're 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 you know engaging in. So, I, I, I think that's but an interesting study all the same that that takes a functional MRI approach to what's going on with people meditating both before after. Um, and can conclude or start to draw uh, pictures and maybe create a path towards understanding the brain better. That's, that was interesting. I want to combine number eight and nine on Phil's list <laughs> real quickly because I want to get through them, and uh, we're about to run out of time. Well, you kind of combine them, too. Yeah. Because it's, uh, well, why don't you summarize them, and, and then you tell me if you think they're all that different. Okay, brain scanner can tell, uh, number eight. Brain scanner can tell you what you're looking at. Um, article says basically, tell me what you see. On second thought, don't. Uh, this brain scan, uh, you can look at something. The brain, and we got brain scanning now down to such a uh, precise level that the that the computer can determine what you're what you're looking at based on the brain scan. That is pretty cool. Uh, you got mind reading computers now. Um, 
you know, I I think that that's pretty cool. And uh, and, and number nine, the next one, brain computer interfaces for manipulating dreams. Well, why do I think that they're very similar? Obviously, uh, you know, I would when it comes to uh, uh, brain computer interfaces, I would prefer a brain scan than something that has uh, have, that has to jack into my brain through my skull. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I want to. I, I would rather have the brain cap than the uh, than the jack that they show in uh, in the Matrix. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I do. It, it it may be the, uh, the skull cap uh, is preferable. Uh, yeah. The well, the, the picture at the bottom of that article has sort of a you know the tinfoil helmet appearance to it. Yeah. Um, and but, that's, but cooler. But but much cooler. Yeah. Much cooler. Much more streamlined. Much more. It's not tinfoil, but you know what I'm saying. It's the hat. Yeah. Um. But even even at that point, I, I I think well yeah if you could actually see what somebody was thinking about and correlate it to a visual image that somebody else can see the visual image and not have to communicate with that individual in in an overt way. Um, doesn't it sort of replace the lie detector? Yeah, absolutely. You, uh, I mean, it seems to me that an unbeatable lie detector could be developed from brain scans that are that are that detailed. I mean, not not for one second do I think that would be the initial commercial application. I think it would be somehow related to uh, pornography or some other more uh, entertainment-related uh, uh, sales approach. But right. from a technology, it seems like yeah, to be able to to look and go, this is what somebody's thinking. That that and and actually have a visual image of it. That is uh, huge. I don't like so much the idea. And number nine sort of implied this more than eight. Um, that you would then create a a interface for manipulating the dream state. Um, a, I don't see the need for it. But this could be me thinking, yeah, dreams are what they are, but they're not they're not especially relevant to cognitive function other than knowing that hey the brain is in fact functioning and the the dreams occur as a result you know it mentions uh in that uh, it, he mentions in, in number nine uh lucid dreaming uh michael have you ever had had lucid dreams yeah if, number one do you know what a lucid dream is uh it's i was going to say let's let's agree on our, our definition here okay, if by uh, lucid dreaming you mean i as the uh, as the first dream. person point of view dreamer in the dream, know I'm dreaming and alter the dream environment as a result. Correct. You realize you're yes. dreaming and say, let's have some fun with this. And, yes. And you alter your dream uh, to do whatever it is you want to do. You've yes. done that before. Okay. Yes, I have. Good. Then uh, we have a common frame of reference. I've, uh, I, 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 I'm able to accomplish that mm, probably every three or four months. I think if um, I think if you focused on it, you could accomplish it a lot more. My my prediction is that it even when you do it, while it's cool, it's not especially useful. Well, I tell you, it's useful to me in this sense. Whenever I wake up after a, a night of of being able to dream lucidly like that, I am in a fantastic mood, and I mean, I i am so productive on days following lucid dreaming it's incredible to me i'm operating on a different level after that i don't know what i take that back then you should focus and try and do it more often i guess so i guess so um it i I don't know what it is it's an uplifting experience and and uh harvey in the chat room is talking about meditation is like a lucid nap well maybe i should try meditation too (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, if if uh, it's such a positive experience, lucid dreaming, then maybe uh, maybe I need to do both more often. I would say that most forms of meditation do not have as one of the uh, desired goals that you actually fa- enter a sleep state, that you in fact are awake um, and perhaps even more conscious or lucid than you are otherwise, but while awake. But under no circumstances is the objective to actually fall asleep. Although I think that falling asleep is is a uh, is a common byproduct when you when you start to learn. Well, we are out of time, Michael. I hate to cut it off so abruptly, but it, we we just are. Um, I want to point everybody to uh, everything we talked about tonight is uh, in uh, the newest Better All the Time feature at the Speculist, and uh, Phil wrote that all by himself, and so he was our. Uh, he was our absent guest this evening, uh, Phil was. And so uh, get to the Speculist and read everything we've uh, we've talked about tonight. I'll also, in the show notes, I'll get a uh, 
from YouTube. I'll pull in uh, the Pinky in the Brain uh, <laughs> video, so you can uh, you can learn the parts of the brain if that's important to you. It, uh, if it's not, well, then it ought to be. <laughs> so, and uh, we uh, we've had a good time this evening, and hope to see uh, well have have everybody back this uh, uh, this time next week. We do have some great exit music. Um, and uh to me uh, i i had kind of hoped to uh keep this uh, exit music until uh we actually talked about this subject but it's about the space elevator and so uh i'm looking you know you're going to love it and uh i i probably will dust this one off and play it again some night that we're talking about that subject so anyway enjoy and uh had a great show michael appreciate it adios alrighty good night Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.